1: brian karam
0: hi and welcome back to just ask the question i am your host brian karam and with me for our weekend review as always of uh things important in the world former federal prosecutor michael zeldin and editor at large from cq row call john t bennett dr doc- Dr. Bennett, I presume. (laughs) This this week, we've got a lot to unpack. There's a Time Magazine story that says people are scared to death of a coming world war. Meanwhile, there's a gag order hearing in the uh, Donald Trump case. There have been hostages released in the Middle East. Congress will return to work. What the hell will they do? If anything, there are political retirements bigly on both sides of the aisle. And of course, President Joe Biden's numbers are falling. So with all that in mind, stick around. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, we'll unpack it all for you on this edition of Just Ask the Question, which, of course, is Just Asked the Press. We'll be right back. We are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and why am I talking like this? I have no idea. Anyway, so this week in the news, uh, if you've been wondering if the world is getting more dangerous, well, you wouldn't be the only one. In fact, Time Magazine this week talked about a a, a scenario not fun for anyone to consider, but They talk about why so many politicians are talking about World War III. starts out talking about in a recent fundraising email that Donald Trump lamented. It truly breaks my heart to see Crooked Joe, the weakest and most incompetent president in history, ruin our country as he pushes America to the brink of World War III. Of course, if you don't know who I'm talking about, this is the same Donald Trump who... And on the same day as that, sent everybody out in his email chain a wonderful uh, To Make America Great Again wrapping paper of him in, well, in his mugshot. So, you know, what says Merry Christmas better than Donald Trump mugshot wrapping paper? In addition, the Time article also talks a little bit about uh, Joe Biden talking about it. And of course, there this is ongoing between wars in Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Israel and Hamas and fears about the prospect of another war arising. So with that being said, I mean, the language is such. And if you ha- if you've seen additional articles, there have been articles, not just the time uh, article, but there have been other articles about what happens when a nuclear bomb drops, et cetera, and so on. And it's been growing steadily, or at least the discussion since the beginning of Ukraine, uh, the war in Ukraine, but really took on an added texture after uh, Israel and Hamas started out uh, with uh, the war there. So with that being said, I guess, Michael, we'll start out with you. Where do you see this stuff? I mean, does it seem legitimate to you? Is it fear mongering? How do you see the latest headlines on the potential of World War Three?
2: Well, I suppose it's depending on how you define what is World War Three. If World War Three is a global conflagration where the the world essentially is divided into two teams like World War II and World War I, I, I don't think we're there. If we're talking about um, regional um, wars that are between two countries where third parties are proxies involved in that, then we're involved in probably three uh, mini world wars already. So I don't see us moving to the global conflagration with two sides you know, dueling it out, but I do see that these regional with m- multiple stakeholders serving as proxies and uh, providing armaments and tactical advice, et cetera, is where we are right now and the prospects that it will improve are you know sort of slim at the moment so we're in a very dangerous time and there's no end in sight to these conflagrations and it requires you know a steady hand in multiple countries. I thought that the meetings between Biden and um, Chinese um, leader were an important step in keeping things calm. I don't know yet that there is such a thing in the Middle East, but Egypt's engagement with Qatar uh, and the U.S., I think, has been helpful. And Ukraine and Russia is a flat-out stalemate. And the question will be, does Russia ultimately pick up its, you know, weaponry and go home like they did in Afghanistan. And I just don't know the answer to that.
0: The uh, Senator Tim McCain, uh, Tim Cain of Virginia said, quote, I have had to answer a question from people that I never had to answer in 30 years of public life, which is, could this be World War Three? I think the biggest fear, John, as we talk about the potential for World War is. The assumption that uh, the next World War will include atomic weaponry and 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 nuclear cataclysm so that's uh i mean when you can't talk about world war Three without thinking about that how do you think that plays out on the hill
3: um i'm struggling a little bit um plays out on the hill i mean well they have to they have to give money event well they don't have to do anything by the way um yeah. Uh, if, if, you're they've, proven about, that, if you're they've proven about, that if you're and they've proven about, that time, time, time and again <laughs> yeah. how does this play out on the hill? Well, if the last few months is any indication, um it won't play out on the hill <laughs> and i mean i don't I haven't heard of any um resolutions to declare war on Hamas or hezbollah or Islamic jihad or Russia or Iran, etc. so um that that's another thing that that how it would play out on the hill is they could de- they could formally declare war um that's not going to happen it's not going to happen in election year unless something you know really catastrophic happens when was the uh, last
0: time we declared war on anybody other than drugs
3: uh al qaeda and associate forces essentially after 911 yeah and as far as funding goes um that's another way it could play out on the hill um you know um uh, the this ukraine This notion, uh, this White House request for funding, emergency funding for Ukraine, Israel, uh, some money for Taiwan to help deter China. Uh, Republicans want to put some uh, money for the southern border, which many Democrats support. Um, If the Senate could ever, the Senate keeps saying they're going to write a bill and eventually vote on it. I haven't seen a bill yet, much less a vote. Uh, the House <laughs> passed something that the Senate rejected, and the White House rejected immediately. So it's it's not really playing out on the Hill right now at all. It's just more inaction. And you know, there's there's talk from some Democratic senators last week um, that they think Ukraine could run out of ammunition in in a couple of weeks, and uh, we may it may it may be a point where the Biden administration has to go to NATO countries and. And ask that they provide ammunition uh, if if we're not going to be able to pass a bill to fr- to to create the funding uh, to buy the ammo and give it to the Ukrainians. So right now, this isn't really playing out on the hill. Uh, otherwise, it'll play out like it always does on the hill with a lot of noise and a lot of words and a lot of bickering. Uh, the Republicans don't even the parties don't even agree within 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 the parties. I mean, you've got. You know, you've got your defense hawks in the Republican Party and your Trump isolationists in the Republican Party. You've got your um, semi-hawkish, strong, want to be strong foreign, want to have a strong U.S. presence, Democrats, especially in the Senate. And then you've got your progressives who won't cease fires and no more nuclear weapons. So the parties have trouble where where, where you'll if, if we ever get any kind of funding bill. Uh, for the allies, you know it'll be those moderate parts of both parties coming together to push it across the finish line in both chambers. but again, you know the Senate likes to criticize the House and what the Republicans sent over and yeah, that was a non-starter um but the the Senate hasn't shown us their bill, and until they do, um our allies will will just continue to have needs and and the White House may have to go elsewhere to see if they can meet them.
0: Michael, one of the things that and i I know you, you probably remember this i I do and and john you i you may or may not remember, it, but the day after the broadcast on ABC when uh I was but a wee reporter and um afterwards there was a discussion, a group discussion because this was about it was a dramatization of a of a nuclear war and it was during that particular uh afterwards in a moderated debate or a moderated discussion with ABC News and with Carl Sagan when Sagan turned coined the term nuclear winner. And he said, imagine two, you know, people armed to the gills with gasoline sitting in a room uh, and one is complaining about, you know, who has the most matches. So the the big fear I think when people talk about World War III is the fact that it would go nuclear quickly. And is there in and I'm not trying to assay, uh, ass, assuage fears nor in, or add fuel to the fire, but if you look at it rationally and calmly, the last thoughts from both of you. Do, do you think that there's any concern, legitimate concern about that? About uh, you know, we've talked about uh we have seen in the past with hypersonic missiles China now putting out, uh, well, their Navy, what is, is they're trying to match us for uh, the size of the Navy. And of course, with a uh, with aircraft carriers and missiles and Russia's talked about having missiles that would knock ours out of space. Et cetera. It reminds me of the before we had the anti-ballistic missile treaty in in the 60s The talk about, you know, uh, the shortage, the, the missile gap shortage. If you can blow them damn world up more than once what's the point michael do you see any of that do you see you know that that concern is what overrides all of it
2: it requires a belief in irrational actors because if you have a rational actor who's got you know a nuclear arsenal at his or her disposal uh, you can't imagine a rational actor using them because of the consequences, an irrational actor, you know, a leader of North Korea. If he is irrational, I don't really know. Um, that could trigger something. Um, is is scary. But as um, confusing as Putin and uh, the Chinese leader and we and everybody else who has these uh, these bombs at our disposal are, I, I just can't imagine that anyone is going to unleash one. Not even Iran, if they if they have one yet. It just it's. But again, I, I premise this on the notion that I believe, generally speaking, people behave in a, a rational way. I mean, a, there's a wonderful book. Have you seen the U.S.? <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's there there there's a, there is a there's a wonderful book. There's a wonderful book called Predictably Irrational which I would encourage people to read, which says that people actually don't behave rationally, but they behave in a predictably irrational way. And I think whether you believe people act rationally or in a predictably irrational way, I can't envision a scenario under which uh, someone does a first strike nuclear uh, attack.
0: John, I'll leave you the last word on, on such a cheery subject to start out the holiday season.
3: No, zero chance that the world starts nuking uh, each other. Uh, President Xi uh, probably has the more functional nuclear weapons. uh, When you talk about Russia and China, Russia's arsenal, uh, there are big questions about uh, deferred maintenance and the age of, of, of the missiles. And, and of course the rockets on which the warheads ride, Um, you know, we've seen that the Russian military in Ukraine, uh, ain't what you know i'm a former defense reporter and boy i listen to too many conference spiels and hearing testimonies and oh the russian military the russian military we need more money because we need to build stuff the russian military <laughs> well they can't beat a ragtag uh you know ukrainian force so um you know anyway there are questions about where the russians nuke Russia's nukes even work at this point right and she really doesn't want anything to do with the war in Ukraine. He's he's happy for the U.S. and others to be kind of distracted by it, but it's you know he's not sending tanks to Moscow or anything. <laughs> um, and by the way, uh, President Xi's economy is intertwined with the that of the U.S. and Europe, so I don't think President Xi's going to start pressing the button anytime soon. Um, let's see. Um, Israel has them one would think if netanyahu was going to use them he already would have same thing with putin in ukraine um and you know as far as the us goes um you know i know the left likes to worry about donald trump coming back and starting to nuke everyone donald trump is actually despite despite the rhetoric and what he says at the rallies and 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 you know democrats getting offended and outraged and their feelings hurt um He's viciously anti-war. So Donald Trump's not going to nuke anybody. Joe Biden is a rational actor. Michael explained that, I think, really well. Uh, But I will say this. uh, One thing that will probably pass, and you're talking about playing out on the Hill, they will eventually pass a full-year defense appropriations bill and a Pentagon authorization bill, a Pentagon policy bill. Those two things will, will get done eventually. It might be February, but they'll get those done, and that will... Those those bills will will authorize and write the checks for um, continued modernization work and updating and maintenance on the American nuclear arsenal, and there will be new money in there for for things like new nuclear subs. So you know if the birds start flying, America will be
0: will be ready to respond. Oh joy! And speaking of irrational actors, let's skip over to our next big targeted item the gag order hearing um we have an irrational actor and it's not you michael explain what we got with the gag order hearing
2: i resent that i resent that i i am i consider myself uh, an irrational actor and i i do too you know, i've charrie cher- <laughs> i like exactly. john wild card.
0: john just chimed in i do too i yeah.
2: <laughs> you know it's a well cultivated image
0: I, uh, um. <laughs> i'm sorry to blow your cover
2: that's <laughs> John, do you think I can continue now? <laughs> uh, Give, oh, it yeah. yeah. Give
3: it a whirl. Give it a whirl. Yeah, the wild card, people tune in to get what the wild card. <laughs> yeah,
2: is exactly. Right. exactly. So, there are two gag orders in place one in D.C. in the January 6th case before Judge Chutkin, and one in New York um, in front of Judge Engeron. That's the Letitia James civil case. Last week, there was a hearing in the Court of Appeals on the Chutkin gag order where Trump's legal team is saying essentially that the First Amendment is absolute, a position held by liberal Supreme Court justice icons like um, William O. Douglas and Justice Black. They're saying it's a it's a amendment that cannot be breached. It's an absolute right of of speech and that any gag order essentially violates the First Amendment. On the other side, the um, prosecutors are saying, wait, it's not that absolute that the First Amendment is only good as long as it doesn't trigger the magic language of likely to incite imminent lawless action. So there's this fight between those who say first amendment is unlimited and you can say anything in the free marketplace of ideas will uh, you know attract itself to the truth and those who say yes but if there's a the incitement of imminent lawless action then there can be a gag order that was fought out in the court of appeals for 2 plus hours it was a fascinating debate where they kept asking hypotheticals saying well can he say can Donald Trump, for example, say uh, General Milley is a liar? And he said, well, that would be sort of targeting him. And he says, well, can he say he is not speaking the truth? Can he say he is an untruthful person? And they were going down this slippery slope of law school sort of um, hypotheticals to determine what is likely to incite imminent lawless action versus what is protected by the First Amendment. And I think the takeaway from the argument was that the court is going to try to limit Judge Chutkin's order, which says, essentially, you cannot target people um, in your speech to, to try to give a little bit more clarity to what targeting means, especially in the context of a political um, campaign that Trump's engaged in. So, for example, a hypothetical was Assume Trump takes the the stage in a debate, and is he free in that debate to say, "I am you know the subject of a political witch hunt by a politically calculated prosecutor who's you know blah 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 blah." Can he can't he say that in the context of a political debate, or does that violate this targeting and imminent lawless action? And they went back and forth of what are their what are the parameters of that sort of speech? So I think you're going to get, Brian, out of this some sort of gag order, but tailored to this incitement of imminent lawless action um, qualification. If it if it triggers that, I don't like you is okay. My supporters go to Brian Caram's house, 123 Main Street, and hurt him. That wouldn't be good, but I don't want to dress up for. (laughs) Well, I thought you had moved to LA. So (laughs) it's, it's it's the people who bought the old main street property. (laughs) Um, so, I mean, there's a difference between Brian Karam is a bum and go kill Brian Karam. And so they trying to find the balance between, um, uh, those two. I personally just feel that Brian Karam is a bum is okay. Go kill Brian Karam is not okay. And figuring out the um the, the, the nuance. proper nuance between the two. And it's hard. And yeah. and the courts the court really struggled um with trying to put, you know, sort of governors on on this. It'll be very interesting to see how they how they come out.
0: Well, b- John, before we get to you real quick, I I found the hearing interesting on a couple of levels. First of all, I always thought, you know, it was already established in um Court, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater if there is no fire. So I thought that that was, you know, that you know, the First Amendment. They're claiming to be inviolate that you cannot. There's no violate. It's it's sacrosanct and and is bull because uh, other courts have already decided that's not the case. And I also found it interesting that he was, in essence, some of the scenarios that were they were talking about in court reminded me very much of when the shoe was on the other foot and Donald Trump was trying to limit my First Amendment rights by taking away my my uh, press pass. And one of the things that they said in the hearing was, you know, how do we protect ourselves from... And, and they went through a whole litany of, of possible things that they could go through, like rogue mooning reporters. If some reporter was to be in the White House and just drop his drawers and, you know, moon us, how could we stop that? Well, there's already you know, statutes against that, the judge said. But they went through that whole litany there. And it was at that time, it was Donald Trump's justice or his his attorney, his White House attorney, who was trying to flip the script and wanted limits on the First Amendment. Now they don't. So I always find that any argument with the First Amendment and Donald Trump is one that's transactional. As long as it benefits him, he's for whatever side of the coin, uh, it best benefits him, uh, at, at least my experience john yeah you were you looked anxious to speak there i'm sorry
3: no i was anxious for my cat to not break a candle and he's trying to do that Um, with a glass you seem you you seem so into it (laughs) i'm into not cleaning up glass yes i am um or stepping on it even worse, yeah. or him stepping on it. I could go on. Uh we've all broken glass before. Uh speaking of breaking glass, Donald Trump and the first amendment. See what I did there, guys? Yeah, oh, that I was got nice. Got it, it, it right back.
0: Michael, you got to give him his props for that. He flipped it. <laughs> go ahead, brother. <laughs> uh Donald Trump
3: breaks glass. Yeah, you say this, Brian, when you and I were were running around the White House trying to keep pace with President Trump, uh which was no easy task. No. Uh he breaks things. Uh he breaks things um he breaks things to fit um, his own objective, whatever he believes it to be at the time, which may be different than what he believes it to be the next morning uh, on social media. So um, w- here with the First Amendment and like everything else with Trump, I you know I'm I'm shocked that it's transactional. Everything's yeah. transactional with Donald Trump. Now there was uh, an op-ed I believe in the New York Times late last week that. Um, didn't love the timing of publishing it because it's very important. Uh, written by George Conway and 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 he had some co-authors talking about all of these issues with Trump, including this very one that we're talking about. There needs to be a new legal regime, a new um, stream of you know people writing about this and and going through various scenarios and testing out you know precedent. Not that there's a lot of precedent, but there's related. You know, court uh, court decisions and and other things, uh, you know, DOJ memos and, and all this stuff that comes together to form the canon of, of the judicial uh, process and, and laws for Trump. All these various cases, this has to be looked at by very serious minds. I know a guy who wrote a column a number of months ago saying the same thing for rollcall.com. dot um, He looks a lot like myself. So people are starting to write about the need for this. I'm not a legal mind by any means. Uh, that's Michael's department uh, and people like George Conway. So this does need to start happening, you know, what happens if if Donald Trump is sworn in on January 20th, 2025 and is convicted or sentenced in Georgia on state charges 3 days later. You know, does he jump on Air Force One and 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 report for a sentencing hearing and 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 then is he escorted to a Georgia state penitentiary and they build a mock oval office for him? I mean, this needs to be tested. It needs to be. We need. I don't know what the answer is, um, but all of this shows, including the First Amendment issues um, that we're in. We're in uncharted waters
0: and they're only going to get choppier. (laughs) that's michael before we go to a quick break here let me ask you to but can
2: uh, i just ask what can i just ask john so what are they what are they what is conway who i consider to be you know a a very conservative uh, person he happens to be an anti-trumper and so of course that has you know gotten him popularity among liberals but his his politics are incredibly conservative so what is it that he's proposing not so much proposing
3: right now just saying that this all of this needs to be looked at and yeah. we need to, there needs to be some kind of guiding legal like you know like when you go bowling and you put the rails up that there are no rails here so people need to start seriously thinking about it
2: and okay. I, I i think that just to add uh, my two cents of commentary just i i don't know if there isn't rails the rails, rails yes the rails are you know dip, are created uh in response to events that arise that's how the judicial system works they don't and they're not even empowered to issue prospective rulings if there were a case before us this is how we would rule and therefore this becomes law that's not the way it works it's there was there are actual parties an actual dispute that allow for an actual resolution and in the area of the first amendment it has been Evolving, As Brian said, it used to be you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater, which was a horrible decision, which allowed for the jailing of Eugene Debs because they said that his speaking out against World War I draft was akin to yelling fire in a crowded movie theater. And Oliver Wendell Holmes voted, therefore, to affirm his conviction. And Debs goes to jail for, for six years. These things evolve, and now we're at this imminent lawless, action standard for for some categories of, of speech. and I think it evolves. and I worry when somebody whose politics like George Conway's, who I find generally disagreeable, um, is talking that the system isn't working and that he thinks there should be a, a, a new system.
0: Yeah, and what and my concern of course, is what will that, if it's a conservative uh, decision, what will that look like, as far as you know? If if such uh, guardrails are put up, how how limiting will the speech be? And I I know that the today it seems like more conservative voices are on more on the side of of unlimited free speech,
2: but that's not always been the case. Well, but uh, Brian, can I interrupt you one second because that statement is. True and not true because yes you are more and more you beat me to the point but go ahead yeah because more and more conservatives Mm -hmm. are interested in revisiting uh, New York Times versus Sullivan yes which is the case that gives the First Amendment its greatest teeth because it protects people from being sued for defamation unless they're knowing unless they're knowingly malicious and false at the time they were made. And in the case uh, in the case of a public figure. and right. the, the u k doesn't have that. and and you, essentially, you can't publish anything that's critical because you'll get sued. And you, even if you don't win, you get sued into bankruptcy. So yeah. you have to be careful when these conservatives talk talking about, you know, free speech limitations when right in the background, you've got Clarence Thomas and others talking about the need to revisit New York Times or well, that- Sullivan, which is probably the most important First Amendment decision um, for a free press. Uh, in in our history.
0: Yeah, that's which has created the entire anti-slap. We could go on and on about that. But before we go uh, to break, real quick, Michael, I just wanted to get your uh, final legal thoughts on the fact that even with a limited gag order, do you ever expect that it will be imposed to the
2: point where he'll be, that Trump will be fined or jailed? Well, he's been fined twice in New York, and um, he hasn't had sanctions imposed on him by Judge Chutkin, who's been very careful to impose gag orders and refine her gag orders and then pause her gag orders, you know, pending appellate decision. Uh, so yeah, he. I think if there is a gag order in place and he violates it, he can end up being fined I, don't, I doubt that he'd be jailed, but one thing probably is for certain, which is that the decision by the DC Court of Appeals in the Judge Chutkin case is going to end up um, as a petition for certiorari, a request by the Supreme Court to hear that case. And you have to remember that while this gag order doesn't impact the timing of the trial itself, all of these little skirmishes in the in the in the bushes on the on the side of the main road are intended to delay the outcome that a trial would result in.
0: There you go. With that wonderful thought, we'll take a short break. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast.
0: Hi, we are back. It is Just Asked the Question. I am your host, Brian Kerrman. If you've been paying any close attention to the news this week, you'll know that there have been uh, there was a short uh, ceasefire truce um, in the Middle East. So uh, hostages could be released Uh, yesterday. 13 Israelis and four Thai citizens were released after an hour long uh, delay, hours long delay that was in Gaza bringing the total of 26 Ar- Israelis of the 50 expected to be freed from Gaza. Then this morning, and we are recording on Sunday morning, 17 hostages were released by Hamas after a delay again uh, with the uh, with uh, Israel and Hamas disagreeing over something that they haven't really spoken about since. But they uh, the hostages released today, including a four-year-old American girl, Abigail uh, uh, Aydin, According to a list from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office of the 17, three were foreign nationals, the statement added. So the hostages have been exchanged. There's been a truce, despite the fact that uh, we've heard John Kirby in the briefing room. We've heard uh, um, the president, I believe, and we've heard from Israel saying any uh, delay is just an attempt by uh, Hamas to reload. But they took the short truce to let people in and out. Meanwhile, there have been a flow of aid trucks that continue to enter Gaza under protection of the ceasefire, including much needed fuel, but they've only been able to get out a handful of in and out a handful of trucks. Uh since then. I I'd like to, Michael, start with you. It do you think that how do you think well on, on an international scale, there's two ways to look at it on our on a national scale, and then there is the war itself, Israel and and uh and Hamas, how do you how do you view this the the being released? It's got to be a lightening of the load. It's not a ratcheting up of of uh, measures. Do you think it portends uh, greater cooperation and a greater uh, ability to
2: maybe have a a a longer term ceasefire? Great question. I don't know the answer. The biggest problem for Israel, of course, is. They consider Hamas a terrorist organization and not a a state actor. They don't believe that you can negotiate um, a regional settlement with them. They're an avowed terrorist group whose um, declaration is for the elimination of Israel from the ocean to the sea. And how do you negotiate with um, terrorists? Very few people negotiate with terrorists, very few state actors, and Israel is in that exact situation. So I don't know that this is a portend of some peaceful resolution of the uh, Israel's fight with Hamas, whether it'll lead to um, a peaceful solution, two-state solution with the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. Um, remains to be seen. But obviously, when you look at the pictures of fathers embracing their nine year old child who they thought had been killed, it can't help but make you feel happy. And, you know, and every parent um, is sighing, you know, huge sighs of relief when they they see this stuff. So you hope it continues. Um, But the question is, what, you know, what is Hamas doing here? Is it taking this pause to uh, reconsolidate its um, positions so that it can attack again? Is Hamas trying to build some political goodwill? because you know after all, uh, Hamas brought this on the Palestinians uh, in Gaza right. and the question is, you know is Hamas Hamas's political leadership in the in Gaza threatened? by this? You know, is it time for the Palestinians to say, you know, we need a new uh, political regime to lead us here in Gaza? Because Hamas clearly is bringing on ruin. And so there are lots of questions here that are not easily answered. The overarching sense that I have is one of relief for the families on both sides. Um, There are some people who've been held in Israeli prisons for a very long time without ever having been charged of anything, um, you know, sort of like our Guantanamo Bay, which is, you know, just not acceptable. It's just not acceptable. Um, But I don't know, Brian, that there is a long-term hope here, especially when you go back to your World War III question, and you've got Iran Iran and Hezbollah and other proxies, you know, um, on, on the borders, you know, just sort of licking their chops. So... It's not it's not it's not simple, but I think that you need a change of administration in Israel. I think it's time for Netanyahu to uh, exit the stage. And uh, you heard it here, that, folks. <laughs> and that I think that they have to really double redouble their efforts, you know, Palestinian authority. And I don't know whether a boss is the it's time for a boss to go to. I don't know enough about that, but people should look at this situation and say, It is time for a two state solution to be worked out here um, because, you know, sort of what the it's enough already enough. Enough's enough. Um, And enough is too much. But, you know, there are very smart people. Aaron David Miller, I like quite a lot. um, Talking about just how difficult the negotiations for this two state solution that he's been a part of for a very long time has been, you know, to work out. And John, how do you
0: see this working out? I mean, <clears throat> it, you think it portends greater peace, but you and I both know how covering military and and having covered this administration in the last, and uh, it, it's iffy at best, is it not?
3: Not seeing a lot of peace on the board right now. I mean, you know, there have been Israeli settlers um, who have attacked uh, Palestinian residents of the West bank. There's been violence back the other way. There's been, you know, somewhat violent protests in, uh, in the West bank and other places in the region. Um, You know, these, you know, this notion of while the the hostage talks are ongoing that, you know, we get these daily pauses, you know, it's what, it's six hours out of every day. Well, that leaves 18 hours that Israel and Hamas and Islamic Jihad and whoever else is in Gaza fighting, um against israel they're still shooting at each other 18 hours of the day so i don't see a lot of peace on the board um this notion of a two-state solution you know there's more momentum right now um but for all the reasons that that michael walked through there with israel you know these are terrorist groups the u.s calls them such uh the west calls them such um and uh, unless the palestinians can prove that they can hold elections that will not result in in Hamas, Hezbollah, or Islamic Jihad um, having either the power in those places or a big say in those places, and big presence. I'm not sure how after October 7th the Israelis are going to think it's in their interest uh, to sign off on that because just look at the geography of the place. Uh, you know, yeah. Gaza's Gaza's to the west and south, and and up in the kind of the, the northeast part of Israel, that's the West Bank. So, you know, this is a very high bar that the Palestinians are going to have to clear basically to surround Israel with a a, a, a bifurcated state of Palestine. The Israelis would have them on both sides, and I'm just not sure that that the Palestinians are anywhere close to being able to clear that very high bar, and it should be very high,
0: yeah, and it, bottom line, when you look at it, how do you it, 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 it's hard to trust after you were you know they you attack a peace festival and take hostages i mm-hmm. I get it that's that that without a doubt, the highest bar to overcome because but at the same time. <laughs> be honest we got to be honest Palestinian people didn't elect Hamas that was not
3: that's true and Hamas has not held elections since then and there have been you know there haven't exactly been elections um any
0: time in the recent history in in the West Bank either yeah and there's no you know the Palestinian Authority is not generally and genuinely accepted as being you know the leader of that particular region or the people There is momentum toward
3: this. And if the Palestinians can get organized and get serious, maybe it's an interim government that then sets up elections in in both regions. You know, I'm not saying the bar is not clearable for the Palestinians. They can clear this bar. They're going to need help, U.S. help, Arab help, Arab help, I think is where. Yeah, they need. Yeah, they need a lot of Arab help. The the you know, the prime minister of Qatar was on face the nation this morning, Sunday morning. Um, I encourage everyone to go. He has some very interesting things to say. Um, you know, go look that up. It'll be, it'll be from Qatar, um, and other places like that where they need the Israeli help, maybe Egypt, you know, they've been helpful. The white Egypt's house is going to have to pitch in. Yeah. in so Qatar, Egypt, you start to see, um, Jordan of of course, Jordan. So those three countries could be very helpful for the Palestinians to clear that bar, they're going to need a lot of help. Um, they can get over it, but you know, you you have you, you do understand how Israel. Um, they're going to have a lot of conditions, though.
0: Yeah, you know, I think the one uh, the thing that I go back to is that all it would take is Egypt, Jordan, uh, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, somebody in that region simply saying Hamas. <laughs> your ass is mine You're, it's illegal, but that won't happen i mean that's that's the right but right. if egypt would be most likely to say hamas is illegal and we will prosecute those leaders of hamas but i don't think i don't see that happening anyway one of the one of the things that i do see happening is congress coming back so uh i'll let you unpack that john we the congress is returning is they're going to get first of all I don't see there being much to do between now and when they break for, for Christmas. I think the big uh, push will be after the Christmas break, they're going to have to fund the government again, but correct me. You've been on the Hill, you know, better than I,
3: they will be doing a lot in the next three weeks. Now, how much of it ever sees, you know, the light of day is another story. (laughs) Um, So the house is going to continue trying and by the house, I mean, house Republicans, uh, are going to continue trying to pass um, annual spending bills that they wrote. Uh, Democrats, um, no reason to mince words here. Democrats hate these spending bills. Um, other than you know maybe a one-off or two, they're not going to support any of these spending bills on the floor. So Republicans have to pass them and get there, I guess, 217. Um, could be 216 if George Santos is expelled, as we expect uh, in the next week or so. Uh, so, but Republicans have to pass these bills by themselves. Stop right there, though. Do
0: you really think that they'll expel? It's one of the reasons is I didn't put it on the rundown because I'm not sure what's. You believe that George will be that Santos will be expelled?
3: I do, and George Santos said in an extended, um, we used to call them Twitter spaces. I guess they're X spaces now. Um, apparently Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, that he expects to be expelled from the house and he said I I expect that because I can do the math. So what he's hearing behind the scenes uh he expects to be expelled and I'm going to I don't know if we can take George Santos at his word but is I think Of
0: course you can't take it Right as word. I but as I said It's and the in, point in, <laughs> Go ahead. Here,
3: yeah, in other places last week um you know the 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 Republican chairman of the Ethics Committee is the one who's introduced the expulsion resolution. Uh, Chairman just don't do that unless they have the sign off of leadership. So that's a sign that Speaker Johnson and leader Scalise want this guy um, thrown out of the house. So, yeah, I think that happens in the next week or so Uh, that 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 will lower the threshold for passing legislation. But when you know you've got. On some bills, more than 20 Republican holdouts and on other bills, you've got eight conservative holdouts or then the moderates start holding out. Um, that's a problem for speaker Mike Johnson. I don't expect the house to get very far. He pulled two spending bills before they left early before Thanksgiving because he didn't have enough Republican votes. The conservatives and moderates um, objected to a couple of bills for very different reasons. Uh, and that's going to continue. They're also going to have to reauthorize, um, you know, Things that are important this time of year for travel, like um, you might have heard of the Federal Aviation Administration. They oversee- The FAA?
0: <laughs> <Right>.
3: <laughs> the FAA oversees. I was just on two planes uh, over Thanksgiving, and I'm sure you guys, and I know, Brian, you've been traveling. Michael, <laughs> yeah. too. Um, the FAA is very important, and that's going to need to be reauthorized. That's going to need to be funded. The funding part will come uh, next year but they have to reauthorize it or at least a temporary extension uh, before they leave for Christmas. There's a number of those types of reauthorizations. There's a big surveillance program known as section 702 that needs to be reauthorized. Uh, Both chambers have multiple bills working through committee and waiting on the floor that would revamp section 702, but you got to get the votes on the floors of both chambers to pass those. And right now uh, they don't have one bill. It looks like that could get through both chambers. So they do have a lot to do. Uh, yeah. For, will they get oh, anything done? Right. Uh, right. You saw where I was going with that. Yeah. They're going to try to do a lot in the next three weeks. But if you are cynical or I would say just paying attention, you probably would be safe to bet that, you know, both chambers pass a few more spending bills. Um, the Senate will churn through some more Biden judicial nominees. Um, they'll, you know, they'll they'll tem- they'll they'll do another temporary extension for the FAA. Section seven hundred two uh, reauthorization will go nowhere, and one or both chambers will leave in a huff, and they will leave a couple days early to start their Christmas breaks.
0: <laughs> That's your prediction,
2: Michael. You think anything gets done between now and Christmas in Congress? Well, I think there may be some little things as John talks about on the margins, but if you're talking about anything that's systemic that has, you know, long-term solutions, staying power that means something, not a chance. <laughs> oh, to dream. I dare to dream. What do you think? You think George Santos will be expelled? Well, I think he'll be expelled more because the Democ- the Republicans in New York want to be able to say when they run for re-election that they stood up to this guy. Because remember, New York is what essentially flipped the House from the Democrat to Republican control. <clears throat> Democrat seat that um, Santos won will likely revert to the Democrats. It's my mother's congressional district. I lived there all my life as a as a kid and I'd go back there back and forth regularly now. Who was who um, was
0: your rep when you were growing up? Do you remember?
2: Um, Lester Wolf, oh, wow. And, um so, but I think that the other Republicans in New York are worried that if somehow they align themselves with um, Santos, they're going to be uh, tarnished by him, and they're in, you know, essentially blue districts. So I think, yeah, I think that the Republicans who are counting heads for what they need to retain, The majority, knowing that there'll be a second seat um, in Alabama for a Democrat, that Santos' seat will go to a a Democrat. There are 10 Republicans, I think, who have announced already that they're not headed and not all of them are in ruby red. Uh Oh, hold on. You're getting ahead of yourself. That's next. We still got to talk about that. But go ahead. I'm just saying when you all this is about this is not about principle make no mistake that the vote to expel him is not a principled decision by Republicans. It's, um, you know, a political calculation. And I think that because that's what this is about and they believe that this is in their best political interests, they'll expel him.
0: There you go. Without wonderful thought, we're going to take a short break and when we come back, we're going to talk about those political retirements in bigly numbers and uh, Biden's falling numbers. So stick around. We'll be right back.
1: Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you and we need your help. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
0: Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian and with me for our weekly roundup of the news and Just Ask the Press, John T. Bennett. Uh, editor at large CQ Roll Call, and former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And when we left, we were talking about uh, political retirements in bigly numbers on both sides of the hallway and how that's bigly, bigly, (laughs) very bigly, and how it's going to affect, I almost did that like Reagan, uh, (laughs) how that's going to affect the 2024 uh, election process. Uh, Let's start with you, Michael. You started talking about it first. How How do you see that falling out?
2: Well, I was reading something recently that said that January is the month where more retirement announcements occur than any other calendar month. And so we'll see who announces where. In the last article I read, something like 17 Democrats announced that they were leaving the House and about a dozen or 10 or something like that, Republicans, now many of them, are running for office, other offices, you know, Alan Schiff is retiring to run for US Senate, and somebody's retiring to run for attorney general, I think in North Carolina. Jeff Jackson, I think, if I remember the person's name. Um, not that many are are just flat out saying, um, I'm leaving to, you know, spend more time with my family, but there is a I'm leaving to spend more time with my family because this is a uh, a clown circus and uh, we're not getting anything done and it's not a very enjoyable environment um, to, to work in. But of the retirements, the one that is most interesting slash concerning uh, is um, that of Joe Manchin, who's not going to yes. run for Senate in West Virginia, who, whose seat will most likely become a Republican seat. It's a pretty Red state, which I don't understand because it's about the poorest state in the in the in the nation, and uh, the old farm labor coalition should still be able to muster a majority of voters given the circumstances of of life in in West Virginia. But it isn't it isn't so, and what he decides to do, whether he's going to go to the no labels, which I think just is a conservative shill organization, but if he's going to go. Um, no labels, and we're gonna have then a, a presidential election with Manchin and Kennedy and Jill Stein and um the professor from Harvard, whose name I'm just forgetting for for a second, and Trump and Biden, good goodness knows um where Cornell West, where where um where we'll be. So that's that's of some concern to me, but but There is, you know, this notion that people are just sick of Congress's dysfunction and are looking to do other things.
0: John, when you look at the ones that are retiring, there's been a speculation that the Democrats are quitting because they don't agree with Joe Biden. That's why they're and they're afraid that he won't win. Uh, But look, it's not. This is not untold and unheard of, but where do you see this falling out for the 2024 election? Because that's that is a big swing. I mean, with narrow majorities in the House and in the Senate, I believe that you're taking a look at it. It could be complete upheaval of of both houses of Congress.
3: Yeah, uh, a colleague at CQ Roll Call recently ran the numbers and. Um, we're right around the average for this point right. in the presidential cycle for um uh, congressional departures uh but as he as he said internally to us, some of us um it always feels like a lot once it starts and and you know once you get three or four people um that kind of gives cover for others to uh to announce their retirements and we've had some holidays uh recently so you always can announce it right before a holiday and um you know there's a you know sometimes there's some embarrassment from members who who decide to leave and so they want to do the old news dump on a thursday before a holiday <laughs> or a friday before a holiday um what we're seeing and and the hill had a good story late last week on this that what, what members are citing both in you know their prepared statements and um when reporters find them on the hill and and talk to them a little more you know back and forth about why they decided to leave is they're fed up with the institution and they're fed up with Washington. They can't get anything done. You know, most lawmakers have a list of issues that are very important for their district or their state, their region. And they work, they do work fairly hard. Um, And it can be just a, a few programs, agriculture programs, some kind of subsidy, federal grants for this or that. And they work hard on those things. And Then the legislation gets stalled in committee or goes to the floor and 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 the rebels vote down the rule. And and then, you know, you get some kind of piecemeal extension of that program that's not, you know, it's not helping their district. So a lot of people are just frustrated that it's not working. The speaker drama, you know, fueled some retirements in the House, uh, both Republicans and Democrats saying just, you know, just fed up just absolutely fed up. And, you know, I think one member, you know, used something, described their feeling as something like they're disgusted with the institution and and it's lost its its ability to be functional. So you're hearing a lot of that. How this plays for uh, 2024, we'll find out, you know, you have the former speaker, Kevin McCarthy, who has millions of dollars in a campaign account that he still controls. And he's vowed uh, to go after the the conservatives who voted with Democrats to boot him out of the speaker's job. Uh, he's got a lot of money. And, and believe it or not, Kevin McCarthy still has, has still has sway. And, you know, you could have you could have McCarthy backed challengers in some of these districts uh, district races uh, with very conservative people. And McCarthy would put up, you know, still conservatives, but not. This this pop this Trump brand of conservative populism that you see from a lot of these um, how very house very far right house conservatives the anti-McCarthy group so you'll but you'll also have Donald Trump playing in those races and getting <laughs> behind getting behind uh, uh, those those Republican candidates that are more in line with the MAGA movement so in some places you'll have McCarthy versus Trump we haven't seen that before. Uh, McCarthy was. We haven't seen it outright. We've seen right. McCarthy back other candidates, and then you know try to talk his way around it when asked about it in interviews. Well, he's not the speaker anymore, and this is personal for Kevin McCarthy. So that's a dynamic we haven't seen. It'll start to play out really after the holidays, um, when you start to see maybe some primary challengers for for some of those uh, those right. eight or nine. Uh, Anti-McCarthy Republic. So we we there are there are a lot of dynamics at play still. And again, I, I think as as you alluded to, Brian, we'll get more announcements this month, and and you get the kind of the last tranche in January, early February. So it's a little early yet. We we don't have the full board if you want to look at it like that. And I know the media gets criticized for doing that, but yes, we um, do, uh, and we probably should, but. You know, we just don't know yet, and we don't know how much money uh, Trump plans to spend on the congressional side because he's got all those legal bills that he's using campaign funds largely to pay. So um, it's early yet. McCarthy is holding his cards close on what he plans to do over in the Senate. Uh, what looked like, what looked like almost a sure thing that we would have um, a Republican majority leader in twenty twenty five. Uh, the Senate is is now closer to a toss up again. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we we may get another retirement or two out of the Senate. Um, you know, West Virginia looks like it'll flip and and that'll be a Republican. You'll have two Republican senators with Joe Manchin announcing he's not running again. So that's one uh, on the Republican side. But there are places where it looks like Democratic candidates are running more competitive uh, than expected. So you've got both chambers again. You're not going to have big majorities, no matter how any of this plays out. I, I I'm not hearing any pollster or or strategist or analyst or even member think that you're going to have any more than you know a ten seat majority in the House, maybe, and and again very evenly divided in the Senate. So I don't think a lot. The faces might change, uh, things. The faces might change, and things might get more MAGA in both chambers and that is not a recipe for getting anything done
0: no it'll still be fighting over god knows what uh but uh but, but we got to leave that one for a second and talk about another big fight and that is over biden's falling numbers uh we consider we still keep seeing polls and you know this is john speaking to your point about the horse race mentality of of the press but we still see polls where uh and Donald Trump is bragging about him often uh about how he's leading Joe Biden in the polls coming into the holiday season a year before the the election. Michael, does that bother you at all?
2: Well, you know, you'd want to see Biden having stronger numbers at this point were uh if you were a democrat um, or you believe in democracy, but the- democracy? <laughs> The, the the reality is for me that while these numbers are very concerning, it's not a matter of um, that as much as will the Democratic coalition coalesce around Biden if he's the, the candidate running against Trump in the same way that they did last time around. That was not so much a pro-Biden as an anti-Trump coalition. That coalition is splintering, especially among young and progressive uh, voters, some African-American, some Hispanic. But the question is, when it comes down to it, when it's Donald Trump versus Joe Biden on the ballot, will those people, you know, to, to, to use what they'll probably describe, hold their nose and vote for Biden? Or will they sit it out or vote for a, a third party? And it's sort of like Humphrey Nixon Um, Yes. Where, uh, you know, progressives didn't turn out in the numbers necessary for Humphrey to win. And I think looking back, most regret that, you know, notion of perfect being the the, um, enemy of of good and (laughs) whether or not people will, you know, do the same and get us a Richard Nixon or a redux of Donald Trump because Biden is not perfect is what is most interesting to me. So for me, the polls matter most when we know who really is running against who. And I still think that if Trump is convicted of a crime before the election, he will not be the Republican nominee
0: Ooh, someone joins me in believing that donald trump may not be the 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 nominee john when you look at you know we were just talking about the volatility in congress um is do do these polls really mean anything at this point in time i mean i know that's an apologist way of saying hey it's early but to be honest (laughs) it does it doesn't seem to mean jack correct me if i'm wrong I don't think you're completely
3: wrong um and i don't think my wife said completely (laughs) right no that's Um, that's
2: that's, that's not what she told me brian he tells me separately wrong (laughs) you are completely wrong yeah yeah. in so many in so many meaningful (laughs) ways it's a long list oh i'm telling you
3: (laughs) for all of us right um Hey, I heard I that. Pol- <laughs> <That's, Please>. I, <laughs> I think the polls do mean do mean something right now. I mean, you can't um, you you can't discount the um, just general bad mood that the public is in. Um, there you go. Perception, is, perception is reality, and the perception is even though people feel okay about you know their own personal finances, they think the economy's in the shitter. Um, they worry about a recession. Um, now, look, interest rates are still high. And the prices of things, they might be coming down a little, but they're still pre-pandemic levels. Um, you know, I was I, I had lunch with uh, a college friend um, when I was in North Carolina over Thanksgiving. Um, I You know, I don't know my friend's politics that well, but I get the sense he leans left. And he said to me, just very matter-of-factly, I can't imagine having a president who's 82 years old and talking about Joe Biden. And I get the sense that my friend voted for Biden four years ago. Uh, In fact, I think he's told me that in the past. So, And he said that unprompted. I didn't bring up Biden's age. and and, and So there is a sense out there, um, a lot of doubt about Biden and his record. So the the polls mean something, but they're not gospel right now. And that's what you, when you talk to pro-Biden people, when you talk to White House officials, they say that. And they one of their favorite lines is, well, uh, Mitt Romney was going to be the president in at this point in the 2012 cycle. Right. Well, Mitt Romney ain't Donald Trump. Mitt Romney didn't walk in with, you know, 38 percent of the vote. Right. Uh, so who's going to stay? Who's more likely to stay home at this point, uh, Republicans or Democrats? Democrats and it's not even close,
0: fellas. That's that's you know among us. That's my biggest. It's not that they'll turn out to vote. I mean, if you're forced to vote between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, most people are going to go screw it, Joe Biden. Most, but you're not. But you're not. You're not being forced to vote. That's the point. Right. You're not being forced to vote. (laughs) I think the Democrats will just go fuck it. I'm staying home. Exactly. Even if, it, even if it means and I think some of them are going to do it for political reasons. The Hamas war. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, you know, it, it's their political statement is, screw yeah. you I'm not I'm not vo- I won't vote for Trump, but I'm not voting for you either. And I think that's where what the polls tell me is that coming into the new year, both sides of the aisle. You just said, you know, your friend couldn't imagine an 82 year old president. I can't imagine a 78 year old president i well, can't yeah, imagine sure. I, either one of these guys if i'm going to be honest and i'm going to be as honest as i could be i'd like Are
2: you to see, honest brian yeah, Cameron, i'm going to try it oh, i'm going to try it wow. on Let's do it. <laughs> stay <laughs> seated though brian don't <laughs> try it standing up, up. yeah don't do I'm, that uh, i'm seated
0: but here it is i'd like to see neither one of these guys on on the uh ballot next year but uh if if forced to you know and if if there's decision is between the two of them i don't think there's any question as to where it goes and it has nothing to do with politics just has to do with human decency well, it cannot can, be donald trump
3: oh can i add one quick
0: thing brian yeah. about the the
3: polls they tell us they tell us something but they don't tell the whole story here the to me the problem for biden is the sense about the economy yes but parts of that That coalition, I'm not crazy about that word when you talk about, you know, different groups voting for someone, but we'll call it a coalition because we got to keep moving. Um, That coalition from 2020 that he and his campaign put together, um, there are parts of the coalition, black voters, um, you know, Arab Americans, uh, middle class men, they all all might stay home because they don't want to vote for Joe Biden again for different reasons it's not like it's just the war in the middle east and and biden would have time to change the perception and and explain his policies better it's different things it's the economy it's the war it's aid for 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 allies and a sense that he's not doing enough to help here um this other group is 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 upset about inflation and you know they got to have two jobs and uh, Blue-collar workers feel sold out, so do a lot of black male voters. They feel sold out by Joe Biden. So it's different reasons, and how do, how do you possibly plug that many holes in your dam to keep the thing from breaking?
0: Well, there, there you go. Michael, final thoughts.
2: It'll be a very interesting election, and <laughs> how it plays out for me really depends on who Donald Trump is as the party candidate. Now he's just the primary candidate. When he becomes the candidate of the Republican Party, does his rhetoric stay as anti-democratic as it is now? The articles that say if he has a second term, he will begin to round up people and create concentration camps, etc. Um, weaponize the Department of Justice to go after his political enemies. If he talks in those terms, those are true statements, I don't know if they are, but if those are true statements, and he goes on the campaign trail talking about what he foresees next in very authoritarian language. I think it's a very different calculus that so I think John is exactly right that at the moment, you have a lot of disaffected people who are thinking about sitting it out for a myriad, for myriad reasons but if you get donald trump speaking the way he's speaking now at his rallies to a national audience i think some of those people will start coming back because of the um, fear. frightening level of fear that 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 they would have should he be re-elected so i think it's early and we'll see but if uh if i had my magic wand to wave i'd have uh Joe Biden say, "I did what I said I would do. I would. I came to run uh, because of of Donald Trump and what he was doing to our country, and I was going to be the uh, placekeeper or whatever the words that he used. The right, the the transition, the the, you know, the, the transitional person to get us from Trump to the next generation of of leaders." And if he had stuck to that and said, I'm going to be a one term president, and these are the things I'm going to do, and then we're going to open up the Democratic you know, primary system for uh, the next generation, whether it be um, Galvin, Gavin Newsom or Kamala Harris or whomever else wants to run. Andy Beshear. <laughs> it would have been, I think, healthier.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, we're going to end up the day uh, before we ask you guys what you want to plug. We're going to a couple of things. Uh, news just broke. Uh, Joe Biden is speaking uh, from a conference room at the White Elephant Hotel in Nantucket. I can't make that up. Uh, so I, I don't even know. how. To, it sounds like a Republican Party thing, but, you know, the White Elephant Hotel, Uh after abigail eden was uh released four-year-old abigail eden he said quote she is free and she is in israel now he noted that she had been through a quote a terrible trauma unquote so that's the american hostage young four-year-old girl that's been released in hamas this morning also want to take this uh time to uh our blessings and thanks uh to a person i i and i always thought was a formidable personality, and that would be Rosalind Carter, who died at the age of 96 uh, with her husband, uh, Jimmy Carter, former President Jimmy Carter, in hospice in uh, Georgia, where uh, she lived and grew. And if you don't know anything about the Carters, I'll just say it was a fascinating story. They spent most of their life together. Jimmy Carter knew his wife almost from the moment that she was born, and uh, it, it was a he was a nuclear engineer on a, on a sub in the Navy. Uh, they met and were uh navy brats uh, traveling around the world for a while so uh just a she was an activist as a as a first lady and our our thoughts and prayers are with her i hate that term but i do mean it sincerely uh michael where can we catch a brother
2: the podcast is called that said with michael zeldin it is a book based podcast i think my next book is going to be with the you'll love this brian the iconic um, disc jockey, if that's what they're called, radio host Surf Colwell. Um, Surf was um, known to all of us in, in in Washington D.C. at WHFS, which was one of the first um, FM uh, radio stations, um, yep. and remains an icon in um, in music. And then it'll be a book on uh, Charlie Chaplin and his fights with J Edgar Hoover and his <laughs> ev- and his ultimate expulsion essentially yeah from from the united states and so it's that said with michael zelden on all all podcast apps
0: dj disc jockey I, I remember when that term meant something you were slinging you know you were actually turning the discs but not in that and
2: that he did and of yeah. course he he also surf also was the host of for those of us who grew up in washington going to going to concerts he was often the the guy on stage introducing yeah the band Here's a question for you.
0: Now, his radio station, there was another one, Wacky Radio, where I worked at. There was, I think it was WBEN in Ohio. All three of them. If I give you a line, you got to tell me where it's from. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. Oh. Anybody? Anybody, anybody.
2: I don't know who said that. I know that. Um, That's just, Arthur I, Carlson
0: from WKRP in yeah. Cincinnati, the yeah. great turkey drop. And that radio station was, I, I sort of got, Wacky was, and and HFS and all of them, all all those people swore that WKRP was about as close to reality as you could get for working in a crazy radio station in the 70s. And I, I, I can attest to that. That was- and- uh, <laughs>
2: And yeah. What was the, what was the radio? What was the, uh, the, the Cincinnati radio
0: WKRP in Cincinnati? Yeah, that was it. The the, the TV show. Yeah, that yeah. was a great, it was, <laughs> and it was less Neman, Les Nessman, the newsman going, Oh, the humanity it hasn't, I haven't seen anything this bad since the Hindenburg disaster. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go look it up on YouTube, watch it. It's the funniest half hour. It's a great Thanksgiving treat. And John, you're looking at me grimly as if you've never seen it, but you got to go see it, brother. So <laughs> maybe I'll check that out. Yeah, TV. check it out. Never funniest know. punchline in the history of te- television. Speaking of DJs. So John, I would say
3: the, the, the funniest punchline in the history of cinema was in the movie Major League uh, when Serrano, the heavy hitting Cuban. Uh, wanted to sacrifice a live chicken before the playoff game. Uh, Jake Taylor comes up with the idea. They got him a whole bucket, uh, a of whole chicken. bucket of chicken from KFC. Serrano strikes out in the seventh inning, and um, Roger Dorn says, "We should have gotten the real chicken."
2: You know, it's so funny. I was I was um, in the in the gym uh, not long ago, and on the TV was Bull Durham. Oh, and it, that's... and I and I and I could barely hear the sound, but it was the scene at the pitcher's mound. That's yeah, which reminds me which, of the Serrano scene. Yeah, exactly. Which 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 is I still think among <laughs> the great baseball scenes. Yeah, trying to figure out what's going on. You know, where she registered? You know, yeah. that's usually a good. <laughs> good <Yeah>. and, <laughs> That'd that's be- another thing for your young audience
0: to go yeah there you go if, watch. if, if you haven't seen bull durham <laughs> and if you haven't seen major league uh, or a po- well if, if anybody's ever played the fallout series of uh video games you, you once you see a boy and his dog you'll know what it's about but that's a very post-apocalyptic from phoenix type of movie that was supposed to take place in 2024 so hopefully not anyway so john where can we catch you brother uh weekly column on friday at
3: rollcall.com and perhaps Brian maybe we'll dive this week into uh Joe Biden's Thanksgiving vacation uh on Cape Cod um boy giving statements in a hotel ballroom is a lot different than using the bully pulpit of the White House to talk about a four-year-old girl being released from Hamas yep. custody um Maybe we'll dive into that. If not, uh, we'll dive into something else that usually <laughs> posts on Friday mornings on rollcall.gov. Uh,
0: there you go. And the name of this podcast is Just Ask the Question. And you can catch me at, well, the name of the book is called Free the Press. Uh, you can also catch me every Thursday in Salon. But want to thank everyone, all our faithful listeners for putting us in the top 30 in good podcasts. So anyway, good podcast, top 30. Thanks for joining us every week. If you ever want to know what's going on, (laughs) we're here. So stick around. Thanks a lot. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. We'll catch you next time.